The first reading is from the book of Amos, chapter 5, verses 18 to 24. Reading from verse 18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading today from... Psalm 78, beginning with verse 1. My people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel reading today is found in the book of Matthew chapter 25. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. 
The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here comes the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. And let us pray. Father, we humble ourselves at the feet of your Son, Jesus, the Word who is made flesh. We ask that um, through him and through your spirit in our midst, you would indeed teach us and inspire us, encourage us. Lord, we ask that you would set our feet on the right path, a good and a godly path. Lord, we pray that um, you would empower us, enable us to endure and to continue to please you until the day that your son returns or until the day that you call us home. And we do ask this, Lord, in your mercy and because of what your son Jesus has done for us, Lord, we can ask for that grace and mercy. Amen. We, um, have an interesting set of readings today. And um, last Sunday we were praying for Israel and the Jewish people in the midst of this crisis. I think one of the things the Lord at least impressed on some of us was uh, Psalm 78. And now Psalm 78 has uh, come up in the reading. And I suspect that the, 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 the folks in the back room that somehow came up with the lectionary, and I shouldn't be so cynical, the, 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 the readings that uh, we have in front of us have um, more or less been unchanged for hundreds and hundreds of years. But I suspect that because Psalm 78 mentions the word parable, in verse 2, that it is included, yes, in this week's reading, yes, when Jesus uh, tells the parable of the five wise and the five foolish. Next week we get the parable of um, the servants who 
uh, are given coins or given talents uh, to employ until the master returns. And finally, just before Advent, we have that uh, most powerful story slash parable, not quite sure, 100% sure it's a parable, um, or technically a parable, but this is the story of um, the sheep and the goats. Okay, so parables. So what, let's look at Psalm 78 for a moment. Um, and it begins by saying, oh, people hear my teaching, hear my, my Torah, my instruction, <clears throat> listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers told us. Some translations use the word riddles. Yes, I will speak to, I will speak to them in riddles. I will speak to them uh, in parables. And I think sometimes we have the mistaken notion or mistaken understanding that parables are told to confuse or parables are told to somehow trick you uh, or to trick us to be a little sneaky and perhaps difficult to understand and you know we're not quite sure you know, what to do with parables or always how to uh, to apply them to our lives but a parable Michelle, Michelle is usually almost always told to clear up yes to Yes, to move away uh, misunderstandings, to make something simple, not to confuse us in any way. And the, uh, the hidden things, things of old, which again some, sometimes is translated as riddles, why would God be, on one hand, saying, I want to clear something up, I want to make it easy for you, but at the same time, here's a riddle, and you, this is confusing. Look, think that Psalm 78 does something really important, and it's a great context for the parable that we'll turn to in a moment. Psalm 78 rehearses the history of Israel, and it rehearses Israel's disobedience. It rehearses God's um, you might say disappointment or Israel's unfaithfulness, and it does it by telling a story. Okay. In this case, it tells the story of Israel. You might say it's a history lesson, but the history lesson or the story isn't an end in itself. History isn't being told or history isn't being recited here like so many uh, cultures, ancient cultures, Yes, um, practice the art of history. The art of history in the ancient world for Greeks, Romans, etc., was a form of entertainment. Yes, it was a form of uh, stimulation. Uh, you would um, get a laugh or get a cry, you might say, out of the things that have gone, that occurred in the past, right? The history, and by the way, the Bible is nothing more than a book of history, 
a family history, a history of the Jewish people, which Paul says was written for our instruction, right? History and the biblical Jewish understanding always demands action. It always wants us to do something. It warns us, prompts us, encourages us, yes? It calls on us to repent, to reorient ourselves, to change. Now that part is in a way simple. Yes, this is the history of Israel. You can go home and read Psalms 78 uh, and see the, you might say, the tragedy of missed opportunities. But there is something of a mystery at the same time. It's clear and it's not fully comprehensible. And what's not so comprehensible in the psalm is that how is it that God, who's a God of love, a God of compassion and mercy, is also, as we see in the psalm, a God of anger and also a God of judgment. And it doesn't make sense or it's hard for us to put the two together. And what the psalm wants us to do is to, start to live in that paradox or to live in that tension. And the tension is cleared up for us in maybe the key verses in verse 38. And it says, um, sorry, again, going through a long list of Israel's sins, which by the way, we could just scratch out the word Israel and write our church or our nation, right? So again, we read these verses, not accusing and pointing our finger at the Jewish people, but uh, ref reflecting on them and pointing back to ourselves. And God says, yet he was merciful, or the psalmist says, he forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath, right? The riddle or the things that are from, from old, right, from the beginning, is God is a God of judgment. And God does show anger, right? But his mercy and his compassion is, is overwhelms, yes, judgment. It overwhelms anger. And God is, of course, calls his people and calls us to repent, to reorient, reorient ourselves, right? That's how the, psalm, how the psalm directs us. And the parable of Jesus is very similar. In some ways, it's very clear. It's very simple. And at the same time, it raises all kinds of questions. And this is Jesus, the master teacher, Jesus, Jesus telling stories. These stories, again, should make a point. They call us to action. They give us direction and instruction. And at the same time, there's something not quite so clear that should cause us to think, to mull over some of these stories, to look at them from the inside and the outside Right? You know, we are not simply sticks with brains. And so, 
this has to be something a little more than intellectual teaching, right? Or just good doctrine or sound teaching. So I'm all for, I'm all for good doctrine. I do hate heresy. I hate when people misuse the scriptures. I think it's horribly damaging. Yes, it can not only take people to hell, but can destroy the life uh, of, a, of a Christian. But we don't always live by sound doctrine. Yes, our lives are shaped by stories and our identities are shaped by stories. And the stories that we live out, right? The, the stories that we kind of take into ourselves and the stories that we live by are as important, yes, as just sound, abstract, theological doctrine. Yes, good stories, good biblical stories, the story of the people of Israel, for example, that is put in a poetic form throughout the Psalms, yes, needs to go along, needs to go along with, with good doctrine. And so, in the story that we have, the story of Jesus and the wedding party, The story is, how does, how is Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, yes, and I will give you rest. Or God, in Matthew's gospel, God makes the rain to come upon the, the just and the unjust, the evil and the wicked are beneficiaries of the mercies uh, of the mercies of God. Like there's a very, a very n nice rabbinic saying, it's a little later than Jesus, but somehow encapul encapsulates uh, something, right, that uh, uh, Jesus taught and lived out. And there was a famous teacher who said, Which, what is more important, the day of rain or the day of judgment? And he answered, saying, the day of judgment only benefits the righteous. The day of rain benefits the righteous and the wicked, both. Yes, this is an expression of God's mercy. Or what about love your enemies? Love your neighbor as yourself. And yet in this parable, it seems unfairly harsh. Yes, Jesus said, you weren't ready I didn't know you. I didn't know you. Yes? How do we somehow grapple and live with that tension? What is Jesus saying to us in this parable? Is it too hard? Is it too impossible? Does he want too much from us? Well, let's, let's look. Yes? Let's look. Okay. Um... And as we go to Matthew 13, I'd also like to just remind everybody that the context, telling parables, right, is not something that only appears in the New Testament. Parables, as a story form that takes images from everyday life to explain God 
and his ways were God and his word. This was, you might say, a Jewish, I don't want to say a Jewish art form. This was a Jewish way of teaching and explaining scriptures. It starts before Jesus. In fact, we even have a few in the Old Testament and it continues after Jesus. We have, according to our friend Steve Notley, we have at least 465 parables that can be dated to the time of Jesus or just after Jesus that were not told by Jesus. Yes, these are parables and stories told by other Jewish, Jewish commentators and other Jewish teachers. Interestingly enough, they are never told in Aramaic or never recorded for us in Aramaic. They are always recorded for us in Hebrew. And what Jesus and these parables have in common, right? and by the way, there are some differences as well, is that oftentimes they use the same imagery. So the parables, the, the early Jewish parables, that, by the way, have been recorded for us in rabbinic literature, but doesn't necessarily make them rabbinic. The early Jewish parables, they have many, many stories about kings, many stories about wedding feasts, many stories about laborers or servants. Yes, it's about um, oftentimes um, a work ethic or the lack of a work ethic. So these are very common. And Jesus, of course, is going to use these and incorporate them, yes, into his teaching to make his point, the point that, the point that he wants to make with us, for us, okay? So Jesus being a master storyteller in the Jewish tradition has an, yes, has a simple yet profound story. And the placing of this parable is important because Matthew puts the parable right after the teaching that Jesus gives about the coming of the Son of Man. And it would be so easy to immediately think, okay, this is just about, yes, being ready for the coming of Jesus. Yes, being on the edge of our seat. But what if the parable is more than that? What if the parable is told to be prepared and to be faithful while he delays? Yes, he doesn't come back so quickly. And look at the context of the parable. If you just, we just go back to Matthew 24, we have Jesus saying, well, watch out that no one deceives us. All right, watch out that no one deceives us. Yes, um, because many will come claiming I am the Christ. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not ashamed, okay? Such things will happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, famines, earthquakes, all these are the beginning of birth pangs. Jesus goes on to say you'll be persecuted, Yes, you'll be handed over, the false prophets will arise, and quite importantly, 
Jesus tells us that the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The love of many will grow cold. So again, Jesus is warning, right, us who might expect the immediate fulfillment of prophecy, yes, those of us waiting for the blessed hope, and the return, the return of the Lord is the blessed hope. Just because prophecy is so abused in this city and, uh, and in some Christian circles doesn't mean that we should give up our eschatology or we should give up our hope in the future or we shouldn't give up our longing and looking for, yes, the return of the Lord. Then there, we have a, a parable of the slaves. And finally, the ten, these, ten, these ten versions, this, right? Notice what's kind of tricky about all this. What's tricky about all this is that in the parable before, when the servants, um, again, don't... Uh, and the servants don't keep watch. Yes, there are those servants who are faithful and those who are unfaithful. Yet they're all called servants. In the parable that we just read, they're all, yes, part of the bridal party. They're, they've all been invited. They're all expected to participate. Yes, that makes it, that should, ca that should cause us to think because it doesn't say, well, there were five who really were never saved. They made a profession of faith, but it never really took. Yes, or they never really were Christians. Because after all, yeah. Or in the next, in the next parable that we read next week, yes, the servants and the talents, the king who goes away, and gives money to three of his servants. They're all servants. It doesn't say one was a false servant or a tricky servant or deceiving, deceptive. They're all invited, right? They're all, you might say, they're all part, uh, part of the group. Um, notice that... Um, the ones who have the oil, and it's probably oil for torches, not lamps, don't share. That sounds, also sounds a bit harsh and even disconcerting as it still rankles me a little bit to this day. Why didn't the five give the other five, right, some oil? And there's another thing to notice, I think, and that is, is that the five who weren't ready, yes, weren't simply just left out of the great joyous feast. They actually, through their lack of preparation or their lack of readiness, they actually hurt the others, right? They actually took away uh, from the ceremony they took away from the joy. 
And I think sometimes if we think about this, this idea that, well, I have these sins or I'm, I'm not hurting anyone, this is simply between me and God, or this is something I do in private, it's impossible, right? Because no matter what we do, yes, in private, and we think it's our business and it doesn't affect anyone else, it always will affect someone else. It always will affect the body of Christ, whether, we, whether it's seen or unseen. So, and as I said before, the thing to kind of consider, here is a time of great joy and festivities and happiness and yet, at the same time, it's, there's judgment involved in all this. So, what does it mean for Jesus? What, what is it going to mean for Jesus to be ready? What does is, what is preparation look like for Jesus? Well, I think in part, to go back to reading part of Matthew 24, it's don't be deceived, yes, be prepared for persecution, don't be shocked if we get persecuted. But also the love of many grows cold. What does that mean? The love of many grows cold, right? Can be perhaps that there's so much, you might say, so, uh, so much suffering or so much uh, confusion in the world um, that many times in order to protect ourselves, we will withdraw. And we will hesitate or even refuse, right, to give ourselves to others or to love others or to do, do that risky thing of loving people who don't agree with us. Yes? The love of many grows cold. Yes? There's deception. Yes? There's persecution. Yes? And what have you heard? Yes, all your life, as many, as many of us have, prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Prophecy is going to be fulfilled. You're, we're on the cusp. We're on the edge. Soon there's going to be the Russian invasion of Israel. And yet, it'd be very easy for people to think, oh, this isn't happening. They've been saying this for 50 years. Now, I don't want to in any way demean or take away from prophecy. I don't want anyone to somehow lose faith that some of what's going to happen in the future has been sketched out for us in the scripture. We have some things to, to go by. Yes, some, some, some points in which to, to navigate. But again, it's very easy to hear this over and over again and to become complacent or to become passive, right? You're all excited, something's gonna happen. And then it kind of seems to fizzle. And uh, then people lose, you might say, their zeal or even lose that sense of expectation, right, for the future. And we should have a future hope. What 
the scripture calls a blessed hope. We can't minimize that. You know, the 465 Jewish parables, the context in which Jesus told his stories and made his point, none of them are about eschatology. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean Jesus didn't tell parables with an eschatological, talking about the future, the coming, his second coming. But many of those same parables, many of those same parables talk about, yes, a wedding feast or a banquet and people being unprepared for the wedding feast as preparation for the end of life, for standing, yes, in the presence of the Lord. You might say, to put it in the vernacular, you might call it, they're parables about ending well. Yeah, they're parables about going the distance, not giving up. They're parables um, that teach, right, constant preparation. And the, the, the parable, one of the more, more famous ones, is, and we've told this story more than once before, there's a certain teacher, and the certain teacher tells his disciples, you know, you should repent one hour before your death. Yes? And then the student asks the teacher, well, how do we know when our last hour will be? And the teacher, of course, replies wisely, you don't know. So therefore, quoting Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts, meaning live a lifestyle of repentance. Not something we do once, but it's something that we live out, uh, live out in a daily in a daily fashion, just as Psalm 78, yes, taught us to do. We don't fully always understand the mysteries of God. We don't understand always the balance between God's goodness and his mercy and his anger, right, and the judgment that all of us will face, yes, but we do know that there's a call to action. And the call to action in this context be ready is not maybe exactly what we think it is because notice that's also something to kind of think about notice the 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 10 virgins or the 10 bridesmaids they all fall asleep they all fall asleep there's nothing wrong with that and so i think being ready isn't like always being on the edge of our chair you know, looking for, looking for the coming of the Lord. Looking for the coming of the Lord and being in this sense of excitement or agitation. Right? But, yeah, there's something 
something else. Yes, and again, that something else um, might be called by the Roman Catholics living in a state of grace, or the Pentecostals might say being prayed up. Yes, being prayed up. Living our lives, yes, keeping short accounts. Living our lives in such a way that not only do we expect the coming of the Lord, but living our lives as if we might have to give an account to the Lord 15 minutes from now. Because an earthquake could shake this building and the roof could fall in. Although the engineer told me that will never happen. But we all know when experts make such claims. Or we may go to the doctor this afternoon and he tells us you have three months to live. Yes. It's being prepared at all times to stand in the presence of the Lord. Because 2 Corinthians 5 says all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of our deeds. And by the way, what, are the, what is the, in, in almost all Jewish literature and, and Jewish uh, parables, what does the oil represent? It represents good deeds and the commandments. Represents good deeds and the commandments. And we might say, wait a minute, this is hard. I can't do it. No, it's not. It's challenging, but it's doable. We can live lives, yes, without hysteria, without excitement, without being paranoid, yes, about, about the later, latest theory. We can live lives that please the Lord, live, live a lifestyle of repentance, practice his presence, yes, and be ready for that joyous celebration. Now that joyous celebration might be the coming of Jesus. And before the roof falls in upon us, he might return this afternoon. And the things that are going on around us might be the fulfillment of prophecy. We'll see, in hindsight, whether it is or not. But are we prepared for that? There's a broken relationships, things that we think, ah, one day I'll get that fixed. Are we laying up treasures in heaven? meaning putting money in our eternal bank account so that we can reap rewards later on? Are we living our lives in such a way that we're a witness, right, and that we glorify God and hold up Jesus? And all of those things, right, can be considered. So, whether we meet Jesus this afternoon or end up standing before the Lord, and by the way, all of us, sooner or later, if Jesus doesn't come, will be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And many of us say, yes, yes, I'm saved and it's the grace of God, wonderful. But don't take the grace of God for, for granted. Make sure that whenever we're called to that wedding feast, that uh, there's oil in our torches, meaning 
there's good deeds and you know, obeying the, the commandments. So I'd like to finish by reading from 1 John because 1 John, I think, sums it up for us very nicely. And here's what John has to say for us. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called his children. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, when he appears at the moment of our death, or when he returns, yes, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.